0: So anyway, Jim, he's got a phenomenal prison ministry, a great testimony, and uh, we're just glad to have you, brother. Thank you. you. Shake hands. All right. I think because of my background, Rob wanted to remove temptation from me. He said he better get those baskets before I go, so... I mean, it's been months since I stole anything, so I think I'm over it. Well, good morning. If it looks like I'm half smiling this morning, I am. I only have a half a smile. Uh, in, uh, January 15th, ahead, I had to have all my teeth removed. And, uh, from the indiscretions from my youth, and over the years, my teeth began to decay more and more and uh so I had to have them all removed, and I got dentures now I'm going to get clip on dentures which I have those kind, and but uh, I'm still about six weeks away from that so um uh, <clears throat> first time I went to preach uh with my dentures in, I was in a prison in Birmingham, Alabama, and uh I got into a really good place of preaching and my lower dentures flew out of my mouth and, uh, I was able to catch them and put them in my pocket. But not wanting to redu- uh, duplicate that very embarrassing moment, I take my lower ones out before I preach. So, so I only have a half a smile. So, uh, Hopefully, my thought phones will stay in, and I'll be able to pronounce some words. Uh, But if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts, the second chapter, verse 42. I'll be reading it momentarily. I haven't uh, ministered or preached since the second week of March, so I hope I still remember how. And... uh, Prior to that, I was so busy, and then it all came to a screeching halt, and uh felt like a caged lion. And uh, Larry was very kind to uh, call me up and say, hey, I'm going to uh, Louisiana, would you preach for me? And I said, sure. So I drove down last night. <clears throat> One of the things in the midst of this pandemic that I, I miss the most is fellowship with other believers. There's just something about fellowshipping with uh, people of like faith that does a lot of things. And in the midst of missing that, I decided to develop a message around fellowship. Now, I know we're still in the throes of this, and we may not get back to fellowshipping the way we used to, uh, but, uh, you know, soon, but eventually we will. And I want to share some things about that. So uh, I've entitled this The uh, Power of Fellowship because there really is power. One of the outside of my relationship with Jesus Christ and uh, the thing that has impacted my life more than anything is fellowshipping with other believers. It has changed me and, and brought change through me to other people. So, my premise this morning is this, fellowship produces unity, and unity releases power. Say that with me, fellowship produces unity, and unity releases power. Uh, In Acts 2, where I asked you to go, before we do that, let's pray. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would help us. Help me, Lord, as I try to communicate your word and help those who are hearing to hear it in such a way that they just don't know it, that they'll become it and allow it uh, to work through them to other people. In Jesus' name, amen. The apostles knew how powerful fellowship is. That's why they included in the things that they they, they, uh, continually devoted themselves to. There's a list of four things here. It says, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Sandwiched in between the apostles' teaching and prayer, two places where we as believers, we receive from God. We receive from good biblical teaching and we receive when we begin to pray. Uh, not only to the Lord, but for others. So those are the places that we receive, but sandwiched in there is two places where we release. We release what we receive uh, from the apostles' teaching and prayer in fellowship and in breaking of bread with other people. There's a uh, an atmosphere where we begin to release to others. Paul understood this. I want you to turn to Philemon, verse 6. He understood the power of fellowship as well. He says, I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. It says, <clears throat> let me state that again. I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through through the knowledge of every good thing. The Greek word for effective there is energeo, which one Greek lef- uh, lexicon defines it this way, to put forth power, to be operative, to work. Another Greek lexicon renders it a different way. It says to be full of power to achieve results. So when you're fellowshipping with other people, it becomes effective. What happens is the good things that are in you start becoming operational. They become filled with power. So I start, I start, uh, sharing and communicating with others those good things that are in me. So in the midst of it, there's an anointing on the good things that are in you to impart it to the people that you're fellowshipping with. And it uh, becomes operational. In church, uh, we receive, but it's in fellowship where we release. And it's important because the more you give, the more you get. Luke 6.38 says, give and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over into your lap. When does that dynamic happen? When you receive something? No, it happens when you give something. So when the fellowship, the good things that are in you become operational and you start sharing them, you're releasing them to others. Next thing you know, you discover another good thing in you. Because as you gave away some of the good things that are in you, God starts imparting more good things into your life. Does that make sense? Now, let me tell you how I'm a little nervous, only because I had not preached so long. Am I? (laughs) Well, let me tell you how I got into this whole idea of fellowship. As most of you know, I, uh, I got saved one night, the next morning I turned myself in for a crime that I had committed, and I pled guilty to it, and I received a 30-year prison sentence. So I, I went, I got saved one night, and then the next day I got incarcerated. And, <clears throat> and someone gave me a Bible, and I started praying, I started, reading the Bible and uh, I was sent to the most violent prison in the state of Florida Sumter Correctional Institution a lot of uh, <clears throat> a lot of people there who uh, a lot of perpetrators and uh, so <clears throat> after about a year of reading my Bible and praying and trying to find a few other believers, which there wasn't any that I knew of that I could trust. And uh, I started praying because <clears throat> I had taken myself as far as I could take me. And I knew I needed someone to uh fellowship with. So I started praying every day, Lord, please send me someone to fellowship. Lord, please send me someone to fellowship. And after about a month, no one came. And, uh, so I was frustrated and my prayer went, uh, Lord, please send me someone to Lord, please send me anyone. Now how many know that's important? Because had he sent this person prior to me getting that desperate in my prayers, I'd have rejected him as the answer to my prayer. Because the person he sent was the biggest drug dealer on the compound. And uh, and he was a guy who always made fun of me because I carried a Bible. He called me God Squad. And, uh, and uh, always asked me when he was with his friend, Hey, God Squad, why don't you preach for us? You know, just making fun of me and embarrassing me and i always avoided him, but it got to uh my only uh, reprieve is when he went to the hole, and uh, he would go to the hole pretty regularly and when he was up there for thirty days, I felt a reprieve you know because he wasn 't going to hassle me because he was in my dormitory and uh, and so I was on my bed and I was reading four different translations i when you're an inmate, you can write these big name ministries and I'll send you a Bible and for free. And so I was reading, uh, out of all four of them and I see Larry coming into the dorm with his stuff. He had just got released from the hole and I'm thinking, oh no. And so I, he went over to his bunk and he put his stuff down and then he walked over to my bunk and I'm thinking, here we go, you know, and, <clears throat> And he says to me, Jim, you're a Christian, right? And I got a little offended. I'm reading four Bibles. <laughs> you know, how Christian can you be? And uh, I said, Larry, you know I'm a Christian. He said, well, Jim, while I was up in the hole this time, the only thing I could read was the Bible, and I got saved. <laughs> and he said, uh, and I, uh, I I really felt God really wants me to fellowship with another Christian or, or have a relationship so would you uh be my friend? You know, would you fellowship with me? And uh, I'm thinking, oh, man. So I said, yeah, I saw him as the answer to the Lord's Prayer. I even moved my bunk next to his. Now, Larry McFarlane is an uh, interesting guy. He's probably the most brilliant man I've ever come across in my entire life. He knows I thought he knew a little bit about everything, but he knows everything about everything. He is so smart and intelligent, and he never shuts up. <laughs> so we'd be sitting there and, you know, trying to, uh, you know, discuss scriptures and study, and and he won't let me get a word in edgewise. I mean, he's giving me his take on it, and he would just talk and talk and talk. One time I envisioned, while he was talking, my fist going through his mouth and then exploding out the backside of his head, you know. And and so about a week later, after moving next to him, I was in the day room praying. I'm saying, Lord, take him back. And uh, as I was praying, because I was really angry, I said, Lord, I wanted someone to love, and man, this, I'm beginning to hate this guy. And, uh, and as I was praying, uh, this old uh, mother's goose rhyme came to my thinking of a beautiful princess stooping down and kissing an ugly little toad, and that ugly little toad being transformed into a handsome prince charming. And I'm thinking, Lord, I'm about to commit a violent act here, and you're telling me a mother's goose rhyme. And, you know, when God talks to you, he doesn't need to explain himself. <laughs> he leaves it with you. And so um I started meditating on it, and I realized there's an ugly little toad in all of us. It's called the flesh. And the only way that will be transformed into something beautiful is through love, loving people just the way they are. And as you love them just the way they are, the things that are wrong in them become right. And so I armed with that, I went back, and Larry was one of my best friends. He still is of all time. And and he brought so many changes to me, and I brought so many changes in him. Because when we fellowshiped, the good things in him became operational and the good things in me became operational amen and I have found that over and over again so um, even in the beginning let's turn to Genesis 11 for some reason I'm a little uh, nervous I don't know why All right, now the whole earth, starting with verse 1, Genesis 11. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. They say, "'Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into the heaven, and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we'll be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth.'" The Lord came down, in verse 5, it says, "'The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. The Lord said, "'Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language.'" And this what they begin to do, and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. The Lord himself recognized that unity releases power. Here is the people of the earth, they're all speaking the same language. They're communicating. How many realize communication is important for relationships? Maintaining peace and unity. And they wanted to make a name for themselves by building this tower they w- they wanted to get to heaven their own way, and they wanted to make a name for themselves so their their priorities were all out of out of whack and so the Lord came down and he recognized that when people are together when they communicate when uh, they are fellowshipping when they're in unity. Unity releases power to do the impossible. So the Lord had to do something about it. What he did, the first thing he did is he struck Him in the mouth. And they all started speaking a different language. And then he scattered them across the face of the whole earth. And I believe the Lord purposed in his heart that he was never going to let people come together again until they come together for the right reasons, for the right purpose. And 5,000 years later, in an upper room in Jerusalem, 120 different people were, were in the upper room, and they were praying, and they were fellowshipping, and they were there to get to heaven God's way. And they were there to glorify him and not themselves. And God did the same thing that he did 5,000 years earlier. He struck them in the mouth. And instead of them all speaking a different language, they all began to speak the same language. And then they went out from there, and they literally, in one place in Acts, it says they wherever they went, they literally, literally were turning the world upside down. They had the power to do the impossible because they, were, they had fellowship, they produced unity, and unity releases power. Let's turn over to Ecclesiastes 4. Ecclesiastes verse 9 makes this statement. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. And um, I used to live in Lancaster County in Pennsylvania. And it's a big farming, and everyone has animals. And one of the things that I learned (coughs) that was a natural phenomenon is that if you have an average workhorse, an average workhorse by himself can pull 9,000 pounds of dead weight. If you yoke it with another uh, workhorse of average size, you would think between the two of them that they could uh, pull 18,000 pounds of dead weight, but in reality, they can pull 27,000 pounds of dead weight. That two yoked together produces the strength of three. Now when we are yoked together in fellowship, you and I, it, it produces a third, and the third is none other than Jesus Himself. He says, whenever two are gathered in His name, I am there in His midst. So two yoked together in fellowship produces the strength of three, and the third one is God Himself, and there is nothing He can't do. Cause there's power. In fellowship. Over in Deuteronomy 32 verse 30, it says this. One will put a thousand to flight. Two would put ten thousand to flight. Now if you take it to its logical end, then three will put a hundred thousand to flight. Four yoked together in fellowship can put a million to flight. There's that much power in the midst of fellowship and unity. Now I want to quickly share with you three things that fellowship does. Now fellowship doesn't get you into something. It's designed to get something into you. And I want to share with you three things that fellowship will accomplish. Fellowship releases the power of caring. Say that with me. Fellowship releases the power of caring. Jesus loved John, Peter, Matthew, and the other disciples, but that doesn't mean that they loved each other. And uh, it's a vertical commitment that builds horizontal relationships. See, I have no problem loving Jesus. It's just kids that I have all the problems with. Because unlike him, you're not perfect. And I have to deal with your imperfections and you have to deal with my imperfections. But what will get us through it is we got a vertical commitment because God said and Jesus said in John fifteen twelve, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. And I have found that when I'm in fellowship, I, I care a lot about a thing, about a lot of things. But most of those are things I care about. I, I <coughs> were released in me when I fellowship with someone, found how strongly they felt about certain things. And uh, so I started caring in the same way. Uh, again, another story from prison. Uh, When I was in prison, I started a little Bible study, and it went from three people to eight people to 40 people. Then they gave us a room, and in about two years, we had 250. And I had started reading New Wine magazine when I was in prison, and I wanted to be a Bible teacher. You know, like Charles Simpson and Bob Mumford and some of the other ones that a lot of you don't know who they are, but they are great Bible teachers. So I had a passion to disciple Christians. What I did not have was a passion for the unsaved. I wasn't very evangelistic at all. And I justified that by the fact that I was caring for a lot of Christians. I didn't have time to really, you know, go out and evangelize. But there was a brother... In my group that I was discipling and we called him Fellowship Shorty. Everybody gets a nickname in prison. His was Fellowship Shorty, but he had a heart for the lost. He even got a permit from the colonel to, at night, which nobody goes out at night, to leave his dorm and go into all the other dorms for the sole purpose of sharing his faith and winning people to the Lord. And he got, he was very concerned about my lack of evangelistic zeal. So he got me a permit to go with him. <laughs> now, I didn't want that, you know, but, you know, I'm discipling him. I said, all right, I'll just go with him because uh, going with him can be dangerous. Now, he's, he he was about 5'8". He's an African-American, and his muscles had muscles, and, um, I mean, really fit guy. Everybody was a little leery of him. He, they knew he, he, they could, he could break them in two in any minute. And so the way he would evangelize is he'd go into the TV room. It's a big room with about 50 chairs. And one I saw more stabbings and fights happen in TV rooms because somebody wanted to change the channel that somebody else was watching. So it was very, very dangerous, and so he'd go in there, and I knew what he was going to do, so I stayed in the back. He goes up, and he turns the TV off, and when he does, everyone starts yelling, man, hey, what are you doing, and I'm sitting in the back trying to blend in, and I'm saying the same thing. Yeah, man, what you doing? You know, put that back on. And then he, he would go, listen, I'm not going to put it back on. i got something to say to you. Me and my brother Jim. Brother Jim, stand up. <laughs> and you could tell me, that, oh, we can't do nothing about him. You are another story. But I started going every night with him. And after a while, when he left, I kept going because I started caring, really caring about people that didn't know Jesus. And that happened in the midst of our fellowship. It releases the power of caring. Um, I got out of prison in nineteen eighty. I got married in nineteen eighty three. And uh in eight in uh Somewhere in 84, my wife became pregnant with our first child. Excuse me. <clears throat> and um, pregnancy was going great, and I can't tell you how excited I was. At the age of 34, I'm finally going to be a papa, and uh, so excited. And uh, <clears throat> going eight months into the ninth month, uh, one morning, my wife wakes up, and she says, with alarm in her voice, and she says, Jim, I think something's wrong. I haven't felt the baby move in 24 hours. So we immediately went down to the emergency room, and they did a sonogram, and the sonogram indicated that our baby had died, that their the cord had crimped up, and the baby wasn't getting the nourishment. Now, I can't tell you how hurtful that was, not especially to Diane, but I, it was the hardest thing I ever went through, and, um and after, they, um, she carried our dead daughter for about five days, because they thought the body, body would naturally abort, but it didn't, so they had to induce labor, and a beautiful, uh, uh, 18 inch, 16 inch, four and a half pound baby girl was born, but she was born dead. At that point you have to have a death get We had to give her a name, and her name is Jenny Marie, and uh, but it was one of the hardest things that ever I ever went through. To make it worse, as all our family and friends came over to comfort us, but they did anything but comfort us. Uh, I just wish a lot of them just stood there and didn't say a word to me, because they'd all come up with these little pat answers. Well, she's in a better place. And I'm thinking, no, right here with me is the better place. And, uh, you know, oh, the Lord loved her so much that he took her. I'm thinking, what kind of? God would do that. You know, take my baby. Don't you have enough? You know? And, uh, so I got so angry in the midst of it, I went out and mowed my lawn. Well, everybody's over at my house. And I'm, I'm in a dark place. I didn't bathe or I didn't shower or shave for a whole month. I just sat in my house in the dark, you know, just Having a self-pity party and, uh, nobody could talk to me and, uh, oh, I was just in a dark place. In the midst of that, uh, about a month later, one of my good friends who helped me start this ministry, his name is Pat Morley. Uh, Pat Morley wrote the book, Man in the Mirror. He has Man in the Mirror ministries. Uh, now when I met him, he hadn't been an author yet or a minister. He was a very wealthy commercial real estate guy, worth millions of dollars, built uh, skyscrapers in many of the cities across the nation, and uh <clears throat> very wealthy, but a very good Christian. He called up about a month later and said, Jim, uh, I, I want to come over and take you out to lunch, because he hadn't said anything since Jenny Marie had passed, and... uh and I said, no, I don't want to go to lunch. And he says, okay, I'll be there in 15 minutes. <laughs> Hung up the phone. So I'm in, I'm in overalls. I, that's what I was wearing, overalls, because it seemed to fit my mood. And so I said, well, I'm not going to shower. I'm not going to He wants to take me to lunch. He's going to take me just the way I am. So he pulls up in his Mercedes Benz and uh, comes knocking on the door. Uh, he, he says, you ready? Didn't even comment on the way I smelled, the way I looked, how I was dressed. He said, you ready? Let's go. And he takes me to one of the most expensive restaurants in Orlando. And uh, everyone's looking at me. And and he's acting like nothing's wrong. And then he wanted to take me to a movie, a comedy. And so I took him. He, We went to a movie, and I tried to laugh a little bit. He's laughing the whole time. Wasn't that funny? You know, he's just, he's just loving on me. And, and then he sold Jim because the the movie theater was in the mall. He said, I want to take you someplace. I want to get you something. So he takes me to the most expensive uh, luggage store in the mall. And we go walking in and the lady obviously knew him. He, she said, Hey, Mr. Morley, what can I do for you today? And He said, well, this is my friend Jim Newsom. He's probably one of the most powerful Bible teachers I have ever heard in my life. And he's going to be traveling the world. And I want to give him a briefcase in keeping with who he is. Now, when he did that, I broke down and cried. This darkness was dispelled. And uh just because he cared, and he just loved me and uh, helped me navigate this this valley of a lost one, and I began to care, so one of the things Diane and I started doing was we went back to the hospital, told the nurse, the head nurse, anybody else that comes through here that has a stillborn, you give them our number, and over the next two years, we met five different couples, led all of them to the Lord. Uh, one of the couples became our worship leaders at our church in Orlando and uh, Rocking Judy Carson. And uh, so I started caring because somebody cared for me. That's what the Bible says, we love because he first loved us. And so you start loving what the person who was loving on you, what he loves. And the other thing I did is I volunteered uh, at the largest funeral home in uh, Orlando to do funerals for people who didn't have pastors. And over the next two-year period, and the reason why I say two years, we moved after that, uh, I did over uh, 30 different funerals, and I did 25 different grave sites. Now, in the midst of all of that, I only led one person to the Lord, But I was able to comfort, love on all the families involved. I knew what to say and not what not 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 to say. So fellowship releases the power of caring. There's so many things I care about because I fellowship with people and they care about them. Next thing I know, I'm caring about them myself. And that's what fellowship does. Number two, fellowship releases the power of conformity or the power of change. Associating with Jesus made the uh, apostles different. Acts four thirteen and 14 says this, Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. They said, man, they're untrained, but man, you could tell they've been hanging out with Jesus because they started having a lot of the qualities that Jesus had because they fellowship together. It releases the power of conformity. Some of the best things that are in me are a result of fellowshipping with quality people. Next thing you know... I'm thinking the way they think. I'm acting the way they're acting. The world calls it peer pressure. But the Bible calls it fellowship. And when I uh, need some, some area in my life where I'm seeing that um, I'm not quite up to par in, I start asking around and saying, hey, who has this area of their life stellar? And they would say, oh, Joe does. And so I called Joe up and I said, Hey, Joe, can we start fellowshipping? Because I know in the midst of our fellowship, over time, that area of my life is going to be conformed to his area. That's what happens in fellowship. I, uh, I minister all over the United States. and <clears throat> I go in this, there are different times, not a lot of times, I've gone into churches and I have taught. And when I got done teaching, somebody will come up and say, man, you know Charles Simpson, don't you? I said, how'd you know that? Well, you, you talk like him. He said, you teach like him. And, uh, and I take that as a great, great compliment. Man, anytime I'm within a hundred miles of Mobile, I go fellowship with Brother Charles. And I don't talk. <laughs> I just listen. And so, But um, Psalm 119, I'll just read these scriptures because I don't want to go too much longer. Psalm 119.63 says, I'm a companion of all those who fear thee and those who keep thy precepts. Proverbs 2.20 says, so you will walk in the way of good men and keep the paths of righteousness. Proverbs 13.20 says, he who walks with wise men will be wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. So fellowship releases the power of caring. It releases the power of conformity. And it releases the power of cleansing. Let's turn to... And I'm almost finished. Let's turn to First John. First John, the first chapter, verse 7. And I'm going to condense this a little bit. It says here, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So walking in the light produces fellowship, and fellowship releases cleansing. You know how I know when I've had a good time of fellowship with some brothers is when I come out of the fellowship, I feel like I had a bath. I mean, some of my thoughts have been corrected. Some, uh, a lot. I just feel like it was. I got bathed in the midst of it. I got cleansed. It releases the power of cleansing, and. Um, and sometimes you don't know where the dirt is until you fellowship with someone who is clean in that spot. That makes sense. You don't know this is really that awry in your life until you meet someone and you say, "Man, man, I I thought I was okay in that, but compared to this, man, I need to be cleansed. I need to have some thinking changed. I need to." Uh, some of the way that I talk and change, you know, because fellowship releases the power of cleansing. I'm going to make a couple more comments, tell you one more story, and then we'll finish. Because you can't get clean by yourself. You get clean in the midst of fellowship. There are some things as a man that I didn't get cleaned of until I got married. I mean, fellowshipping with my wife... Uh, cleaned me of a lot of misconceptions I had about uh, females. And uh, I just got cleansed, you know, just being married to her and spending time with her all day. All kinds of wrong thinking was corrected because in the midst of fellowship, honest fellowship, there is cleansing. There are some things that I didn't get cleaned of until I started having children, now, I mean, you know, how many know children will challenge you? Man, I started, it's, it, you not only are raising them, but they're raising you. Not only are you changing them, they're changing you. I mean, there is some things I never cleaned of until I, uh, started fellowshipping with my children, spending time with them. And, uh, I have two of them and I love them and they love me to death and I'm grateful. But I, it, not only did the cleansing help me with that, it just helped me overall. And, uh, there's some things a thin person will never get, uh, cleaned of until they fellowship a heavier person. Or a tall person fellowshipping a shorter person. It clears up misconceptions. You know, you think because they're real short that they have all kinds of a- anxiety issues and you'll find out they're more, way more confident than you are and, cause they're not breathing that thin air up here and, just Jesus. And in the midst of these riots, um there's some things, a white man, Will never get cleaned up until he fellowships with the African American man, and vice versa. Now, <clears throat> I was raised to be prejudiced. My mom was prejudiced. My dad was prejudiced, and so I I became prejudiced. And then um, I was put in the prison in Florida, where. Two thirds of the population were African American, and so for the first time in my life i 'm a minority, and I get the short end of the stick. The majority rules wherever it is, and so uh, uh, white people or, or Caucasians were at a big dis- disadvantage in prison they They got the short end of the stick all the time, where food was concerned, where laundry was concerned, where everything was concerned, and uh, so uh I was already prejudiced, and now I'm in here being a minority, and I'm, I'm, there's two things I discover about myself, is I don't like lost people, this is before I met Raymond Brinson, because where I was at, everyone, they were extremely lost, and uh even though I had been lost and saved and was cleaning up, I just, it vexed my soul to be around uh, lost people. And then the second thing is I didn't like African-Americans. And uh, and if you're African-American and lost, then I really didn't like you. So I started praying what I thought was an innocent prayer, a safe prayer. I mean, you know, praying is dangerous. It is. And the reason why is God answers prayer. We just don't get to choose how he answers it. <laughs> That's where the danger comes in. So I'm praying, Lord, because I know it's incompatible for my newfound faith to be prejudiced and, and to not like lost people. So I started praying, Lord, please make me more loving towards lost people and make me more loving towards African-Americans. I started praying it every day, desperately. Now, I don't know how I thought the Lord was going to answer that. I thought maybe one night I'd go to sleep, angels would surround my bunk and infuse me with something called sloppy agape. And I'd wake up the next morning and say, Ooh, I love you, and I love you over there. and I, Oh, I love everybody. Well, that didn't happen. <coughs> what did happen is my bunk partner, who was white uh i had the lower bunk at the top bunk he got moved to another dorm and in his place they they sent the most belligerent foul-mouthed foul-mannered uh, african american heathen that you'd ever want to meet now i knew this guy by reputation i always avoided him i was scared of him and uh, he comes walking in with his stuff and he looks down uh and sees me, and he says, hey, Mama, how you doing? He starts flirting with me. Now, how um, many you know that didn't make me want to reach out and say, oh, man, I love you. How um, many you know all that did was uh fortified why I didn't like lost people and why I didn't like African-Americans and... Uh, <clears throat> So uh and then he would bring his friends around and they would play cards on the top and they would talk about me like I'm not down there, uh, saying things that I'm not going to say in church, you know, about me and everything like that. And so so I said to the Lord, I said, uh, I said, can you somehow move Jesse out of this dormitory? And his name was Jesse Damon. And, and uh, the Lord said, make up your mind. He said, you asked for help to become more loving towards lost people. Asked for help to become more loving towards African Americans. I bring you somebody specifically designed to cultivate in your heart. I mean, love is not a gift. It's a fruit. And how God cultivates it is while you start loving on unlovable people. Now, when I realized Jesse was the answer to my prayer, fear left me. Because I knew that if it was God is the one that orchestrated this, He would protect me. So it took me about two months to get Him to talk to me like I'm a male, M-A-L-E. But after that, our relationship took off, and uh, Jesse taught me a lot of things about the African American culture that I was completely blind to. I can write a whole book about what he shared, how we shared. We became best friends. Now he, to this day, I don't know if he ever got saved. Though I had shared the claims of Christ many times with him, he just didn't think he could ever got God could ever love him the way he is. And uh no matter how I tried to convince him that he couldn't, but anyway, we became best friends and uh, instilled in me what back then they called soul. And uh, my prejudice completely left me, even to this day. And uh, I don't see color anymore. I see people. And uh, <clears throat> one last thing. Jesse is the first one. That I had two nicknames in prison. One was Smiley. Uh, because I didn't smile because I was in prison. I was smiling because I was in Christ. And so I smiled a lot, so the white population called me Smiley. Jesse is the one who gave me the nickname of Ritz. R-I-T-Z. And the reason he called me a Ritz is back then, Andy Griffin, of the Andy Griffin show, had a commercial, and, and the commercial was about Ritz crackers. And he would be eating one and he'd go, Ritz, now that's a good cracker. So, a derogatory term, a derogatory term for white people in the South is crackers. So, he started calling me rich because I was a good cracker. I mean, people would even say I'd go in the inside gym and someone and say, what's that cracker doing in there? And one of the others, oh, no, 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 that's rich. <sighs> He's a good cracker. Let's stand together. Now I, 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 believe we're on our way out of this pandemic. But my goal for this message today was to help you realize how important it is that we fellowship with other believers. And, uh, because it's powerful, it releases the power of caring, it releases the power of conformity, and it releases the power of cleansing. So, uh, as soon as we can, let's get back to fellowship. Continue, daily uh, continuing ourselves devoting ourselves to it amen father I pray for abundant life church I pray Lord that you would bless every person not only who are in this service but for those who are watching on TV or through their computer Lord I pray that you would help us to understand just how important and powerful fellowshipping with one another is. Lord, I pray that each of us, when we are able, will be able to get back to start fellowshipping a people of like faith. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray and the church said, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you.